0: Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast Podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. Groovy.
1: How's it going, Grooveaholics? You just heard Phones at the Door by EMDR. I have Julia of EMDR on the show here today, and, you know, this one was special. Um, it meant a lot to me. We really stripped away the layers of struggle, domestic abuse, and music's ability to stimulate change and healing. Her story's incredible. The music is great. I don't want to talk too much about it. I want you to hear it for yourselves. So here is me and Julia. I want to welcome everyone to the Rochester Groovecast podcast your top source for live local regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York and the surrounding area. I am your host, Ben Albert, and we are live. I'm here with Julia of EMDR. How are we doing today, Julia?
2: We're good,
3: all things considered. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm in my (laughs) one-bedroom apartment I just moved into like a month ago now and yeah life is good
1: (laughs) congratulations yeah with the state of affair I mean everyone listening as this comes out knows that we've got craziness going on in Rochester, New York, beyond just the COVID situation. Anyone listening five years from now, this is going to be in the history book somewhere. So it's a crazy time that we're all trying to figure out how to be um, compassionate about and cope with, right? So uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. You got a new apartment, you got fairy lights, you got a cool setup. Things are At least things are good, right?
3: Yeah, things are good. And I'm actually at a gra- in a graduate program right now at Eastman. I'm doing my MA in ethnomusicology. So I'm studying North African guitar music as my focus. So tons of guitar all the time. I, we just released really our EPs. So we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, um, I'm doing okay. And that's a blessing <laughs> for sure.
1: I love to hear it. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about the EPs and a lot of stuff. For those who don't know Julia, she's the brainchild behind EMDR. Very thought-provoking musical experiment journey. We'll dive more into that. But I'm really excited to talk about that creative process um, and, and ultimately a little bit of the story behind it. If anyone hasn't seen the Floated documentary, you really should watch the floated documentary on EMDR. It was very well done. I watched it a second time earlier today, and that will sum things up simply and beautifully. I want to be more that source where we can draw it out and you know dig a little deeper into um, not just you know that, but ultimately what started you with music, your influences, and and all that. So kind of just to get started. I want to start from like the farthest birds, like so high, so far away, the birds are, it's above a bird's eye view, the universe universe view. (laughs) Uh, I've been asking this question and and it's ultimately why music? I mean, we can be an athlete, we can be an attorney, we can be a fireman. We all aspire to be different things. When did you decide that music was going to be your path? and um, you know what really excites you about making music
3: are are you trying to ask me when did i decide i would pick the lowest (laughs) paying um no uh really uh, well actually i don't know if my brother is tuning in right now hey jack (laughs) but actually he was the one who inspired me to learn the guitar because he was learning it and as my older brother I just wanted to do whatever he was doing. So um, I begged my parents to get me a guitar when I was like eight or nine. And I was pretty much self-taught for a while, but there's just something about, um, I don't know, I was singing ever since I was a kid and I just loved music. I loved, you know, for everything they are not and as flawed as they are. I loved Disney films when I was a kid and I loved the music. I loved its ability to like convey certain emotions that you just can't put into words. And I loved its ability to tell stories. And then as I got much older, I realized also through my, you know, musical education that music has this great ability to cultivate a community, you know, not necessarily, I'm not trying to argue that it's a universal language because the ethnomusicologist in me would, break <laughs> if i said that but um but yeah i'm mean, trying to say that like it is a strong binder for people you know you don't have to understand the lyrics to to not songs to go to the brooklyn bowl and like still dance your ass off you know what i mean because um, there's just something about music that inspires movement it invokes emotion and community and emotions that like everybody feels you know so that's where I began I was thinking all of those things when I was four years old but not quite <laughs> as articulately and was just like that's what I want to do I want to give people all the feels
1: <laughs> impressive yeah I remember when I was younger once just hearing a car alarm and I just started <laughs> skipping to it like ooh, okay. okay it's got a rhythm it's got a rhythm yeah. I, like, I like how you mentioned, you know, music sort of being a universal language, but not quite. I think about, like, any kind of speech. Speech has a melody kind of tone ring to it in itself. And um, yeah. sometimes just listening to languages that I've never heard before, there's a, a you know a beauty and a sound and music and just that so that's that's a cool thing and you so you're a ethnomusicologist at Eastman yes. talk, talk a little bit about that um you went to to school you're in a a master's program is it
3: <laughs> i was like man any chance i can get to escape from that
1: but no nope. no we actually honestly do not have to talk about it at all
3: No, I'm happy to actually, because I think, you know, it definitely informs why I might sound so nerdy (laughs) in comparison to some other people you might have on this podcast. Um, yes, I, I did. I am going to Eastman now for my master's in ethnomusicology. And I went to Eastman previously for my undergrad in guitar performance. So, so I have a long history in Rochester, um, And I couldn't really get away, Um, one of the reasons being because my primary advisor now, she's just so specialized in African music, and that's, you know, the continent I'm studying. So it just made the most sense to stay here financially, you know, in a scholarly way. Um, But ethnomusicology is really kind of the study of how cultures make meaning or make you know, like the, their way of being through music, it's understanding their way of being through music. So it doesn't have to be, you know, um, what we might consider, like, other cultures, like world music cultures, like America could be a site for an ethnomusicologist. It's all world music, you know what I mean? So there's people who study Appalachian folk music, you know, from America. Um, I just happen to study North African music, um, guitar music in the Sahel, so I want to understand, you know, why? Why this music? Why these instruments? Um, what, what is useful for these people to employ music in this way, you know? Why do they have these dances and so-and-so? So that's what I do, <laughs> 24 hours of my life, seven days a week. <laughs>
1: that and you've got a lifelong journey with that i mean if you're studying music and culture in africa oh my gosh it's it's got to be fun i mean it literally is a lifelong journey just to tap into a fraction of, of the music that's been created and I, i'm drawing a blank it's the one of the world instrument museums for music it, it's in arizona like the Phoenix area. And I went there once and it's literally like a two day trip to see all the instruments from across the world. So I think that's great. Um, at Rochester's happy to have you. Uh, where, where are you from? So you went to Eastman. Are you local or did you come to Eastman out of the blue?
3: So I'm from Brooklyn, New York City. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, I am tired of city life, and I came to another city, but a smaller city. So it was it was really nice change. Um, I definitely, when I got here as an undergraduate and was still basically a kid, <laughs> I felt a very strong sense of community right off the bat, which is not something that if you're not from New York City can be hard to cultivate, you know, when you move there. Um, So yeah, I moved up here for school and then I I completed my degree, took two years off and then came back. Um, So yeah, uh, that's just kind of where my life trajectory ended (laughs) up going.
1: That's great. You know, they say all roads lead to Rochester, but that's usually locals saying that. It's usually not someone from up uh, in the cities in New York. How's the, so you were born and raised down there. How's the music culture there? Is there a a difference given that this is a small city with, you know, rigorous, you know, music school versus a city like that, which is huge? Um, You know, what can you compare and contrast the two? (laughs)
3: And get me in trouble. (laughs) Um, Well, no. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, complicate, you know, my total appreciation for the Rochester art scene because it is incredible, actually, given how small it is, the amount of different kinds of events and different communities I have seen come out to events at all different venues here. But I definitely will say just because of the sheer scale of New York city and like X amount of spaces and X amount of musicians like that are just exponentially more of than in Rochester. It's like, I think you definitely can find more versatility more often in New York, but that's not to say that there isn't variation here and diversity. Um, But, you know, my own experience as a woman of color who plays guitar and moved up here uh, to go to school, even at Eastman, you know, it's not very diverse. And so when I got out to play in Rochester, I was like, I was like, oh, man, like there's another rock band with four white dudes and there's another rock band with four white dudes and they're all, they all sound really different and they're all amazingly talented. Um, but I was like, where are all the ladies at? And, you know, I i got to see Cami perform a few times and mm. Daniel Ponder, obviously. Um, but yeah, up until a few recently, I really hadn't um, been introduced to, that really underground, diverse music scene here. And I don't know if that was just because I didn't seek it out hard enough, but um, I don't know. So yeah, my experience for a little while was a little, um, it felt more insular for sure than it would have been going out in New York. Um, But again, I think that just really has to do with scale and economy and accessibility, you know, it's really easy to go find music in New York and maybe not so easy in a smaller city.
1: Sure. I mean, they say less is more, but I also say more is more. And when you've got more people, you've got more diversity, you're going to get more of everything. I will say for anybody listening Check out the past, like, 20 episodes of this podcast. A lot of superstar women in Rochester, but as always, never enough. I mean, I don't know the the metrics, but I feel like it's 90% plus men. Um, so I could see coming into a music school, playing the guitar, that that had to have been a little shocking and a little shaky up a little bit, you know?
3: A little bit. I was really lucky that I also went to a performing arts high school in New York. So I kind of, I knew what I was in for, you know, I was like, I'm not gonna let the boys beat me up and stuff like that. And I'm not gonna like, not rise up to the challenge of having to, you know, further dig into my music education. So I was prepared, I would say more so than someone who was, you know, coming from like, kind of like a normal, normal (laughs) high school or just like, you know, more of an interdisciplinary high school than like one that's really focused on just like your art.
1: Yeah. You know, speaking of rising up to the challenge and and I want to note again, Everyone needs to watch the Floated documentary. They did a really eloquent job of talking about, you know, your band and ultimately the storyline behind it. So I don't want to talk too much about specifically what's in that documentary, but I want to bring up EMDR as, you know, a situation where you faced a lot of diversity and challenges with abuse and ultimately rose up to rose up to the challenge and used music as an outlet to ultimately uh, be a medicine and grow. So, you know, again, from a spaceship view, tell us a little bit about EMDR and um, ultimately the inspiration behind it and what it's done for you. Wow, um,
3: there's so <laughs> many layers to unpack. Um, and EMDR is so fun. Like, I guess what I, what I want to say in preface with is that this project has been, I didn't realize it at first, but like it, it is my dream project. Like this was what I imagined me doing when I, you know, when I was hopefully when I was 18 and wasn't doing it. And I was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I, you know, make these sounds and how do I convey like all this stuff. Um, and EMDR, yes, it was like born out of just a really horrific exp- uh, experience in my life. Um, but all that to say was, I didn't even um, know what EMDR was um, until much long after that experience was over. Um, so The background bird's eye view story is that I have um, kind of a history of experiencing domestic abuse. Um, And, you know, I didn't realize it, but it preceded this event much before that I even met this person and actually had these experiences. But um, when I got out of it and I actually was seeking help after, Um, some of the counselors recommended EMDR therapy to me, and I didn't know what that was. And they were like, well, it's a kind of processing, um, it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, EMDR. And I was like, that sounds crazy, but it also sounds like it would be really good for processing the kind of trauma I'm feeling. It was very like somatic and it was very like attached to the body. So really talk therapy wasn't going to cut it for me. You know what I mean? Um, so as I started doing EMDR, and I, uh, I actually was living in my friends, I was subletting my friend's apartment for an entire summer. This must have been two years ago now. Um, and I bought that guitar. <laughs> I bought that Pink Fender Strat. It's a mini guitar. And I love it so much, it's just this clunky piece of wood, but I love it, and I need to get it like tuned up, but um, (laughs) I love it because I bought this and I had my Boss RC3 loop pedal and I just kind of started like thinking of easy rhythms, easy riffs, Um, and I had like one song that I had written. And I was trying to like develop it and develop it. And I was like, I can't really get this right. Um, So I just turned on my loop pedal actually one night and was like, all right, I'm just going to see what happens if I try to play this progression without stopping. And I did it and I made my loop pedal, my loop. Um, And I was like, oh my God, this sounds kind of cool. It's like, it's like in 11.8 and it shouldn't be, but here we go. <laughs> Um, and I started playing some melodies over it, and what I started to realize was, like, there's, like, an infinite amount of layers you can add to any loop, so I just kind of created, like, layer upon layer, and hearing these different rhythms and different cycles come out, I kind of just hit me, like, wow, this is a lot like EMDR. Like, I'm processing cycles of an event that happened one time, and I continue to process it and process it, until like the magnitude of that event is no longer there. So I think I played that loop for 30 minutes straight (laughs) and just like kept playing melodies and um, singing and playing these different um, loops over my original loop. And I like faded out the loop pedal and was just like, wow, that's a song. That could be a song, and I tried to write, like, a few more tracks like that. And that's kind of how EMDR got started. And I called it EMDR because I realized that with the looping pedal, um, that cyclicality really comes out, you know? And that's what I really wanted to seek after in the music I was writing because it was very, like this is an ongoing process. Healing is an ongoing process. Trauma is a resurfacing process. Um, And EMDR processing takes a really long time. So I was like, these are kind of the elements that I want to bring out in the music. So I was like, I should give myself a band name. (laughs) I'm going to call myself EMDR, you know, in the spirit of like MGMT or or MCR or REM. So...
1: (laughs) I think: I think it's an incredible metaphor, um, the process of that droning loop and building on top of it, and it's still being there, but kind of creating something larger on top of it and finding solace in that and finding meditation and comfort in that. That first track, when you were looping for a half hour, is that a song that ultimately made it to this album?
3: Yeah, so you can listen to Zero Accountability on the first... It's part of the first EP, um, but you can also hear it in the five EP compilation album that I've been blasting (laughs) for the last week. Um, But, you know, if you are interested in checking out the individual EPs themselves, they are on Bandcamp alongside that compilation album. So you'll get to actually see how the songs are grouped together, um, and that kind of tells a story in its own right. You know, like it's not just 14 songs that are related to each other, but in some ways they also have their boundaries. They have like their kind of um, what's the word? Well, they have their confined space too. You know, mm-hmm. so Zero Accountability is the last track on the first EP, which um, the five EPs also correspond to the five stages of grief. Haha! Another metaphor. <laughs> um, another metaphor surrounding EMDR and trauma. Um, so the five stages of grief, um, read in textbook succession, follow: anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So when you listen to Zero Accountability on the first EP, you're gonna be like, "Whoa, she's angry." <laughs> And it's supposed to kind of evoke that anger, that frustration, the hurts, the like very raw aftermath of trauma and abuse. So, so yeah, it did make it.
1: <laughs> so. I'm curious. Um, So I love the metaphor and I love the connection and I'm going to listen for it when I listen to the tracks, did the stages of grief come first or did the songs come first? Like, did you, write them kind of trying to develop this process or did you go back and say oh my gosh I'm going through the stages of grief or was it a little bit of both how did that work out for you
3: that's a great question and I feel like I finally have the answer for you today like after really going through yes thank you (laughs) after after like you know recording in the studio, after writing all the songs, after, like, you know, thematizing EMDR over and over and over again, um, I realized that I actually wrote the songs for the first three EPs. I had, I had um, My Head, Second Floor, Zero Accountability, Lost My Appetite, Insomnia, uh, over the Counter, and It's Gonna Be a Long Summer, I had all of those songs written. And I was like, "You know, like." and when I thought about it, I was actually um, playing these shows live before I had recorded any music. I was like playing these tunes live and introducing them as like new EPs. <laughs> um, so I was like you know, the first EP, you're gonna hear three songs. And then at the second show we did, um, I played the new EP and the songs from the old EP. Um, And I just kind of realized like, I'm going through this, these stages and like my feelings towards what I went through is changing. Um, And then it kind of hit me when I got to the third EP, like this is a lot like the stages of grief. And I wouldn't argue to say that I'm not going through them, because I really was, you know, I was really trying to process detaching myself from this experience. So I think once the third EP hit, I realized these are the stages of grief. Mm. And like, I should really try to write the fourth EP as if it really is depression, because I was depressed, but not nearly as depressing as Apex sounds. (laughs) (laughs) so um sorry and then the you know the fifth EP um is Acceptance and I, I kind of um I wrote the music for Acceptance much later um I actually almost didn't even finish writing it until we started recording um and that is like an entirely different EP and I think it should sound different you know it's a celebration um It's more positive and uplifting. It was like a different stage of my life at that point. Um, So all of the tracks on the fifth EP definitely sound like a a group love tribute EP. (laughs) Um, It's way happier and different than the rest of the music. So so yeah, in that way, I think the EPs kind of do follow the nature of the five stages of grief pretty well.
1: It's really cool. I want to listen to Apex. I'm sure everybody at home wants to hear it too. Anything else to kind of introduce Apex as a track and and that EP, you know, very angry,
3: very depressed, very Um, sad. The lyrics are depressing. The chord progression is really depressing. Um, for any musicians out there who are listening tonight, like I'm sure you'll probably hear that, but, um, if you've ever owned an iPhone and you had the Apex ringtone in your ringtone library, the first motif or melody that you'll hear is actually the Apex ringtone. So I hmm. I re-recorded it on like a MIDI keyboard when I was recording in the studio, and uh, we put a filter. We we searched for like days for a filter. <laughs> we finally got to a filter that sounded really electronic and really, you know, kind of chip toony, a lot like the ringtone itself. So you'll hear that and be like, oh yeah, I know that ringtone. And that is like the loop that cycles and continues throughout the whole song. Um, So you can listen for that. Um, There's a lot of other layers that become loops And there's a lot of interjections in my voice and the viola that kind of become these like uh, cyclical processes so um like most of the songs off the album those are things to listen for Um, but definitely with apex because it i would say it is the most produced track we actually had my friend mike von paul who lives in la right now um He is a producer and he makes beats. He actually made the entire beat track for uh, this song. So it's a big treat actually to listen to this song again, um, knowing that so much orchestration went into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I have to say.
1: (laughs) That is a treat that I'm going to listen for that ringtone. And I'm excited. Let's, uh, Let's listen to Apex by EMDR. Yeah. (music) Thank <music> you.
0: listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C-first to keep in touch with everything new. Now, back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's.
3: That's,
1: (laughs) It's gotta be one of the catchiest songs I've heard in a long time.
3: I... Um, a lot of people who know me, like and like the music that I like, know that I really love the Postal Service.
1: Okay, yeah.
3: So when I was listening to um, District Sleeps Alone tonight, I was like, "Yo, they dropped it like on the last section of that song. Where like I don't know what <laughs> what they're doing, but like they must have had a serious amount of beat production in the end when they're just like." putting like beat layer after beat layer on top. And I was just like, I want this song to cook like that, you know, just like subdivisions all the way. So I was like, that's how it's going to be. I really, I appreciate the postal service. And I'm also really um, inspired by the artist Baths or some people know him as Will Wiesenfeld. Other people know him as Geotic. He goes by a bunch of different artist names. Um, But I'm really, like, into his use of polyrhythm, just playing with different rhythms on top of each other, kind of how he accesses his voice, like, in such a high register. Like, I'm also not, I would not consider myself a singer first. I would consider myself a singer second. And, like, I had a, a very base amount of singing training at LaGuardia. But, like, what I hadn't tapped into ever in my life until I started EMDR was just like accessing really high registers and accessing really low registers. And I was like, oh, like, well, if Baz can do it, I can try to do it certainly. So this song is kind of like a lot of experimentation in like, how far can I push this rhythm? How far can I push, you know, the um, emotion in my voice? Like how far can I really push my viola writing skills? Cause I never written for viola before. Actually, that's not true. I'd written for viola one time, but I was used to writing for violin. And my best friend, Cindy, Cindy, where are you? She's she's the other half of EMDR. uh, came up with a lot of parts herself that I ended up using in, like, the recorded versions, but I wrote this entire part out for her, and I was like, this it took a long time, because I was like, I don't know the entire range. I don't know how fast she's capable of playing, you know, but I was like, test your limits, too, and see how far you can go. Mm. So this song was really pulling a lot of influences together and kind of just... <laughs> experimenting 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 until we found something we really like so
1: yeah I'm, I'm happy you shouted out cindy viola because that was going to be my next comment that the viola is just rocking on that yeah. track um and like you s- say that again
3: yeah she's an amazing violist
1: yeah, and the the whole track is great. You mentioned that the the beat makers out in Los Angeles, so you've got your own little poster postal service band yeah. going on. Is Sorry. was there? So it's ultimately you guys are the the two main members of mm-hmm. the band. Um, did was there other tracks and musicians that uh, helped out on other tracks and outsourced some of the you know, music on other tracks from Rochester. I noticed in the, the floated video, you're working with all kinds of people. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah. So when I first started EMDR, um, it was actually just me, Cindy hasn't even come on the project Mm. yet. Um, But I was like, I didn't have a drummer and I knew that I needed a drummer in order to make tracks like, you know, like over the counter or second floor like sound more like rock, like the kind of the way I wanted them to sound, um, more orchestrated in that way. Um, and it was really hard, you know, to find drummers to just like like, it's hard to find drummers in general, but it's also just hard like to find drummers who like have the time to commit to being in like, not just one band, but multiple bands. So I had seven different drummers in the time that i played live shows under emdr Let's see if i can name them all <laughs> I, I i started playing with gordon he's my buddy from eastman we were in the same year together and he, he's an incredible percussionist and drummer um but he was in the jazz program so gordon engelgal uh, scarlett markham she works at crudco but she also runs lady skate night she's an incredible visual artist um, she could really use some love right now, too, <laughs> if you see you know. Um, she's taking woodworking commissions, and I, uh, was playing with Greg Doucher. We actually played The Yard's, uh, eighth birthday party, seventh birthday party, um, as EMDR together. And, and Cindy had come on by that time. And I played with Andrew Tashine. Let's see, I played with, uh, Brendan Caraselli. <laughs> So we play with, like, so many people. I even had, like, one person play, like, live beats with us at a show. Um, Yeah, Ethan. And I was just like, this is crazy. You know, I wish I could find one drummer for EMDR. Um, But I actually think the way it turned out for live shows was kind of awesome because the sound always kept changing. And, you know, in a way, the sound always kept processing itself. So that was actually really a blessing because I got to hear what I wanted EMDR to sound like and maybe like, you know, I didn't like so much and was just like, ah this groove doesn't sound quite right. And getting to work with so many different musicians um, was actually, I think like the right way to figure that out. Because if you just work with one person the whole time, you also don't know the potential of what you might want something to sound like. Um, And that being said, we also had a bassist record with us on this album, Robert McPartland. And there were supposed to be a brass section for some of the songs on the fifth EP. But unfortunately, just because of the nature of COVID, we weren't able to get it together. Um, but that's okay. We, we sufficed it with viola parts and a lot of other things we ended up coming up with that you'll hear if you check the album out. That's Sorry. great. Yeah. Oh and oh my god, sorry. Gary Crocker also did the beats on Sunday Soon, the SSP, it's a fourteenth track. He also did an incredible job on that track. So I think I got everybody. Yeah.
1: I love the, the collaborations. I, I was thinking and it's kind of a joke, but the movie Spino tap. Yeah. old, uh, you know what I'm talking about where they go through like a countless amount of drummers. Ultimately they spontaneously combust. Um, they go missing all sorts of stuff. So that's what I'm thinking of. You just can't tie it out a drummer.
3: It's an outrageous film, but that's also <laughs> a testament to how, yeah, it is hard to find drummers. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was really lucky that Andrew agreed to record for the, um, album and he had kind of a really feasible setup to do it so he was just like yeah i can track this no problem like in my room you know (laughs) and and send the and send the buses to you and everything and i was just like okay great you know um and then gordon actually came back for zero accountability he sent me some of his like kind of extended technique, like cymbal screeches. So he puts his like um, stick on the cymbal and just like, rah, like, <laughs> screeches yeah. on the cymbal. So you can actually hear that when you listen to the, um, the track. It's really cool effects. Um, but yeah, he was sending those over, and it's just like a wild element to throw into that song.
1: Speaking of wild and absurd and cool sounds, is there anything weird or unique you do on the guitar or any other instruments or your voice that people might not know about or maybe not even hear per se?
3: Yeah. Yes. Yes, there is. I do quite a bit of um, artificial harmonic work on on um, oh, 4MT. Um, you can hear that at the end. Um, and what it is is like, besides just playing at if, if guitar nerds in the house, <laughs> besides just playing a harmonic at the 12th fret or the 7th fret or the 5th fret, you can play a harmonic anywhere if you're like depressing the right note and it's corresponding to the higher frets above. If you're like plucking your finger and keeping one finger on the string and letting go once you pluck the note. So I do a lot of that kind of work on 4MT, Um, I'm trying to think like, you know, when I loop the songs live, actually, there's a lot of funky work that goes into making the loops. So I have to switch from my bass register all the way to my treble register, all the way to the mid register on the guitar when I'm playing Zero Accountability to get all of the layers mixed right, Um, which is not something you normally see. Um, and yeah, I mean, trying to think here, yeah, there's just like a lot of riff work that I feel like is not typically heard, you know, in other genres of music. So this is very like, I don't really know what you would call this genre of music, but um,
1: Depends on the song, right?
3: Yeah, it really does depend on the song because some of the songs like Insomnia and Out of My Head my head and uh, Cover Girl are all acoustic. Um, just, yeah, acoustic guitar, viola, and voice. So they sound nothing like, you know, Apex. Um, but if, like, you need to take a break, right, <laughs> from all the emotion of tracks like Apex. So I put those songs in there, you know, to kind of give, like, the other range of emotions, you know, of EMDR and things like that. So. That Those are more, I would say, like, folky, indie, folk-oriented.
1: Yeah. I love how just indulgent and engaged you are with your music and how personal it is to you and how excited you get about it. Um, Because, I mean, you know every song on your album, you know exactly what you did in every song, uh, and I love that. I mean, a lot of times musicians just write a song real quick, move on, kind of, relearn how to play it live. I've seen a lot of people do that. Nothing wrong with that. They go and they jam and they do different things. Every single song seems to be like your own personal artwork, you know, canvas masterpiece. I think that's a really cool thing. Um and it obviously took a lot of time and effort and emotional investment to get through all these EPs and record it and make it work. Right now we're in the mid we're still in the middle of coronavirus we have a pandemic do you ever find yourself like i know i have been like i was doing super great and then suddenly i had like a bad two weeks and then like i do great for three and do you ever find yourself like reverting back to some of those initial stages of grief and uh, how is it how has this the virus affected you you know not being able to play shows um, it's great that you have more time to focus on the writing of the music and the perfecting of it, but ultimately in the whole landscape, how's it been? What are we doing to say stay stay sane? And um, just what are your thoughts on everything going on in your life?
4: <laughs> wow.
1: I ask like, five questions at once. I apologize.
3: (laughs) No, it's okay. Let me see if I can even answer them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the longevity of a band like EMDR now depends on, like, engagement with the release, right? And that's a tricky thing to do, especially, like, man, so I'll just be real with you. Like, it's hard for me to... um, right now to kind of be just the artist in EMDR because of like my attachment to everything else that is going on. So like, I don't know, I, I'm really, um, I struggle as a woman of color right now a lot um, with different kind of aspects of just being, but also uh, taking action towards what's going on, you know, I want to be at the protests. Um, but I also have to take care of myself because I'm a grad student. It's like, these very like, kind of different parts of my identity and my life that are very much politically at odds with each other. Mm. Um, and, but you know, I, I always like, really, I try to do the right thing i really want to stay true to what i think is right so actually you know putting like blasts on hold for a little bit and like just using the release to really tell people like this project is about something more this project is about something deeper than just music it's about like these very real concepts and experiences that people not just in america but like women all over the world and men, like men can experience domestic violence and domestic abuse with not just intimate partners, but family members, friends, you know, like, um, and that the project was always about that. It was founded in that, you know what I mean? Um, And so with the release, I'm really actually trying to raise kind of awareness about that and kind of especially right now how like communities of color are extremely affected by not coronavirus and by domestic abuse because the two together are a, a recipe for a shit show. You know what I mean? Imagine being quarantined at home with an abusive partner. Like that is something that a lot of people cannot wrap their head around, and um, it's really hard already for victims to get that kind of
4: support.
3: And then just being kind of insulated in your environment can feel even more, like, isolating. You know, it can feel even more like, I don't have access to these resources. So, um, sorry, a <laughs> well, personal, but with the release, yeah. um, this week I'm donating all of the sales made on bandcamp to a coalition called insight and it's led by women of color and it helps uh it helps women of color in domestically abusive situations um so i'm donating to them i also intend to donate to the uh daniel prude gofundme and things like that um because i think i think the mistake I have made, and the mistake I have seen other musicians make before is that they think music exists inside of a vacuum, that it is not somehow always in dialogue and related to these issues that are going on in our world, but they are, you know, that's how music is created, that's how music is invented, that's how music circulates, and the power of music to inspire change and to really move people is like, it's all connected. So I've been really, during coronavirus, I came to that conclusion and was like, whatever I do in music from now on, it's gotta be a part of everything I stand for. You know what I mean? It's I don't wanna work with somebody who is, isn't supporting BLM. I don't wanna work with somebody who, you know, promotes misogyny or violence. Against women in any way, you know what I mean? That's like that's like a rough take, but like I don't. As a musician, I it doesn't matter what the cost is. I won't do it. Um, and that's kind of what EMDR is transforming into. The nice thing about being EMDR and you know not somebody who has to rely on performing live all the time is that my music is transitioning into a very electronic phase. So my dream forever was to kind of make like bedroom chill hop music, <laughs> you know, like indie chill hop music. And um, <laughs> I just, I realize how stupid I sound saying that, <laughs> but um, no, for real, there's like a huge, there's like a huge um, uh, kind of c- c- community around that kind of music. And I've always, I've always really loved it. And um a lot of the music I'm writing now is very much in that vein. Um, so I have like a program for software. I'm going to get a rec- uh, audio interface and just see if I can, you know, transform these tracks into something more recorded, you know, more like electric, digital, but that, you know, in the event of a live performance, could also be executed live. So I'll never lose that element of it. Um, but yeah, it was a struggle, especially in the few month- first few months of COVID. Um because yeah, if um, if you've gone through something like this before, or you haven't, or maybe you're starting to realize by listening to me talk that oh, maybe I did go through something like that with a family member. <laughs> maybe this is what my relationship with Stacy is like. I don't know. You know, I don't know who Stacy is. I just made her up. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was really hard to just be in my apartment and be alone and like have all this time to not be distracted and to really like let my thoughts sink in. And it was just like, wow, I do feel a little traumatized all over again. Um, I was thinking about things I hadn't thought about in, you know, a year, up to a year and a half. Um, And yeah, it got pretty dark. And then, you know, I would have days where I'd be like, wow, everything's great. You know, like, and I think that's like something like COVID, where you start to feel that disconnect, is is really like about you know very very large highs and very very deep lows. Um, and I wrote this one track that hopefully will be in the next phase of EMDR. Um, it's called "Everyone Dies at the End," um, and it's not as grim as it sounds. It's true. <laughs> But it's true, and um, really, the I made a post about this kind of at the start of COVID. It just reminded me while I was going through this process of like undulating between high and low, that um, your community is the most important thing. And this is what I mean when I say like you know struggling with you know being a woman of color and struggling with the last few months and trying to negotiate and navigate between my different parts of my identity is like, it's hard when you feel like you don't have that community who's listening to you or responding to you. Um, And yeah, that's why like, I understand, I really empathize a lot with people who struggle with depression, DV, you know, um, you know, content warning, but like, you know, ideation and things like that so i really empathize with that community because i understand how it feels to feel like you don't have your community and the reason you know people decide to you know i think in times like this the reason people decide to like (laughs) fall inward like implode or rather just like you know Have like, still keep seeking their outside network is because they can either sense that it's there or they can sense that it's deteriorating. Um, Like, we're very, like, empathetic creatures. Like, we're empathetic beings in that way. Um, So I think, like, if you haven't heard from somebody, you know, and maybe, like, you notice, like, oh, like, they kind of seem to be okay, but they also seem irritable or... Like, they've avoided their usual routine of posting on Facebook or something, or, like, they don't even sound, like, happy checking in. Like, that's a good time to check in, you know? It's a good time to, like, let that person know that your community, their community is still very much present and there, you know? Um, And when I felt like I didn't have that... I kind of just had to like reach out to everyone in my community and was like, Hey, like I'm really struggling right now and I really just need to know that like you'll be here (laughs) at the end of it. Um, And I think that was like a big wake up call for everybody in my life. Um, But it was a big wake up call to me too. It was just like, who am I really there for? And like, how do people know that their communities are there for them? it's not just about showing up. It's about like, how are you showing up? So, um, yeah. So COVID really made me like sit with that for a long time. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's like going back to the very start of the podcast. I feel like that's the power of music. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the power of powerful music is like, you know, I see people at BLM protests, all singing, you know, like, which side are you on my people, you know, like that is very Mm -hmm. powerful when you have thousands of bodies singing it, you know, it's powerful when you have one person singing it. And it's like, a lot of movements of social change and human rights and history have an element of music in it. Um, But, you know, bringing it down to like a very local level, I think for for people who are struggling, even if you're not struggling, music is like a really powerful way to connect to your community. Um, And that's why I do EMDR. (laughs) And that's why I hope I continue doing EMDR. You know, I don't really, I just want to make sure, you know, my main goal is like community first, (laughs) you know, art second. yeah. So that's like kind of how I have been navigating COVID. It's a very, it's really weird. I don't mean to get like dark there, but.
1: <laughs> I I love it. I couldn't have asked to, I couldn't have asked for more out of an answer. I'm sitting with everything you said and thinking about it. I'm going to think about it more tonight and let it all sink in because, um, You know, the few things that come to mind is, of course, you said community first. And obviously, it's tremendously important. Music's the kind of thing that shouldn't be, in most cases, mutually exclusive from your life and your community is what I'm hearing. And, you know... A lot of people might find themselves, let's say you're a huge musician that had a one-hit wonder, they find themselves playing that same song for the next 30 years, and they're almost displaced from their community or their reality. They're living something that was created 30 years ago, and I think there's a power and importance to connecting your lifestyle and your community and your outreach to your music and your art so you can make a difference today and then expand and grow and if that song's still popular in 30 years that's amazing but yeah. still always having that community outreach and that power um, to help people who are in need today you know the the analogy that was coming to mind as you were um, chatting there is just like watering a plant yeah when you feed something it grows and if we feed the terrible things if we allow brutality to happen if we allow racism that if we turn the other cheek if we're okay with domestic violence it's we're feeding that we're watering that plant um so ultimately taking care of others and watering the right plants and doing the right thing that we know is best. Um, and sometimes someone needs to come over and water you, your plan for you. Sometimes you're in the corner and you don't want to get out of bed. It's someone you're someone's going to come and water that plan for you. But these are the, some of the thoughts that are just coming to mind with everything you said. And to go way back to the start, I love that um, ultimately the sales of this album you're donating to charities to give back to ultimately communities that helped you and helped a lot of people like us and a side note, but every show people send me tracks. I use it for the uh the post production. I want the best quality tracks, so you guys get to hear this live, but ultimately, I use the tracks in post production for some reason the tracks that that um were sent. I don't know. They, they didn't work, but what I'm going to do rather than just annoying you to resend them is I'm going to just go buy the album right now so I can one, have the album and two donate to good causes. So I recommend everybody else do that as well. And, um, and we're going,
3: go go on. Don't want to buy like the whole album. There's options to buy Mm -hmm. like the EPs individually there's also options there's still physical CD copies available um, we're also well uh, we're streaming on Spotify today but I have to drop the official link soon <laughs> um, but yeah we're streaming you know EMDR is streaming on multiple platforms today so you awesome support in that way but yeah
1: I'm excited that you came on this show with little old me when you just had this huge release I think it's awesome
3: Oh no, I was like, I mean what better way to like do it than to like, you know, go local and like I I admittedly hadn't heard of Groovecast until the Archive Ravens, hey Ava, <laughs> was like, Hey, we recommended you for this <laughs> podcast and I was like, Oh god, okay. <laughs> that was so nice of you, thanks. And um, yeah, I was like, Oh, sweet, like you know, we're going to be on a podcast, and it's local, support local always, and it's also like a good way for people who have already been engaging in the Rochester music scene with EMDR to kind of, you know, always get different sides and like get deeper and dig deeper. So, yeah, it was a great experience for me. I'm hoping it was like an awesome experience for everyone else. Um, yeah.
1: I live, I didn't know what Groovecast was until I started it, so. (laughs) Touche. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I live for these conversations. I'm quiet most of the time, but when I have this opportunity to kind of peel back the layers and get to know so many great musicians and, oh man, it's just such a a fun experience. I want to listen to one more track from the new release, I think we agreed on stay. Um, any way to lob up stay? Any, uh, you know, background we should know about this track?
2: Um,
1: like... When I say lob up, I'm thinking of like a baseball, more like a softball analogy where it's just lobbing it up so you can knock it out of the park because the, the music always, always hits the home run and the music speaks for itself. But anything about stay that, you know, Kind of would introduce us to it. A-
3: yeah. Um, uh, stay. Okay. So stay is off of the fifth EP. So this is the happy EP, right? But this <laughs> is kind of like the saddest song on it. Um, but it's really like the um, the kind of like most quintessential song of the EP um, because it's really about. Um, it's actually kind of about the aftermath of my um, friendship with this person who the EP's written for. Um, And when they left, it was like, it was actually very hard for me to process that emotion. It was very hard for me to process acceptance. Um, So I wrote Stay with that in mind of like, oh, I wrote these four other songs and now I gotta write Stay because I, I wish that feeling would stay that like mm. kind of positive feeling after going through so much, you know, adversity, having um, new experiences and new friendships that kind of open you back up to your own life. They open you back up to new possibilities. And then having that taken away from you is really, it's like losing, it's like having a best friend move across the country or something. You know, we've, mm. people have, Uh, experienced that before it's like hard to lose someone when you know like they're a phone call away or like they might come back to visit but like you'll never have like oh we're like hanging out on the daily or going to this festival together or whatever so um yeah so stay is kind of about like processing that um loss again um yeah and another loop you know like another very simple loop in the guitar from which like the entire mountain of the song is built um yeah yeah i really like this is probably my favorite track
1: good to know let's listen let's listen to stay how about that
3: yeah that sounds great
1: Yeah, we're back. Yeah. You know what? I need to plug my headset back in. I took the headset off so I could dance a little bit and just, like, listen to it without a big clunky thing on my head. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Everything about this has been a ton of fun, from the lights to the looping to the music to, of course, the conversation. Um, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime because I feel like we're only scratching the surface of some of the things we could dive deeper into
3: yeah, uh for sure, um, you know, you only see like four percent of the iceberg or whatever they say it is <laughs> um but yeah, there's so much i mean there's so much to e m d r even like outside of the context of how it began like it's just grown into something that like, oh yeah, this was kind of always like a life experience that I've been having. This was always something I kind of wanted to advocate for. Um, and I'm I'm actually, I'm lucky that I found it. I'm happy that I get to explore it musically every day. Um, yeah. You know, that's like, if you're struggling right now and you're an artist or not an artist and COVID is horrible, it's so tough. um, And like the fact that you're here doing it, like you, yeah, the collective you, you're getting a round of applause and just keep doing that thing that like really makes you happy. You know, do that thing that makes you get up in the morning. Um, Don't do anything else right now. You should not be doing anything else right now. You know what I mean? Like, because that's just going to, that's just going to like, uh, it's going to make you sink. So yeah, I'm really lucky that I get to do EMDR. I'm really excited for like the next chapters. And yeah, uh, I'd love to be on again to talk about, you know, more about it. There's so many weird avenues you could go down. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's, as more chapters are written, we'll definitely have you back and talk a little bit more about them. I I do want to ask you one more question that I leave no one off the hook because I ask every guest and have gotten so many great answers and that's why I continue to ask the question. Um, And it's ultimately if you have the ability to control a billboard side of the road, huge billboard You know, down in New York City, it can be anywhere, but I like to, for the thought experiment, you know, imagine all cultures, all people, all genders, all religions, all color, ultimately see this billboard. And you can control what's on it. And if you were to choose a message to, you know, embark on the world uh, to make it a better place, ultimately, is what we really all want to do at the end of the day what would you put on that billboard and why would you choose what you choose?
3: Um,
1: and it doesn't have to be one answer because there's no right or wrong answer. And honestly, there's a thousand great ones. It's hard to pinpoint one, right?
3: (laughs) It's hard to pick one, but I think, um, yeah, given everything that's going on and something that I wish I had found a long time ago, um, It's actually a Mr. Rogers quote. (laughs) It's, um, look for the helpers in scary situations, you know, um, that will always stay with me. Always. I think that's like, yeah, you're in any kind of scary situation. Look for a helper. It doesn't even have to be a person. It could be a thing, you know, um, that really sticks with me, um, in every aspect of my life. The, Other one that I would choose, maybe um, it's actually a phrase in Tamashek, which is the language of Tuareg people in in um, the Sahel region of Africa. It says "aman iman," and it means "water is life." like we were talking about watering plant, you know, like you are the plant and you need to be watered or you are the waterer. And that's like, that is always like a dialectical relationship that you will always have with whatever is around you. You have to take care of your instruments. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of, you know, your apartment or just your family or, so yeah, Aman, Iman, water is life.
1: Water is life.
4: Put on a billboard.
1: It's beautiful. I love it. It's amazing. And and Julia, I appreciate you coming on the show. What are the best ways to keep in touch? Obviously, everyone go to Bandcamp and get the new album. Not only are you ultimately gonna love it, and you're doing something for yourself that you get to own a great album, or you can buy any of the EPs. But ultimately, you're donating to charity and you're helping support great causes by doing just that. What, what were the causes? You said before, but it, where, yeah, where?
3: So the um, organizations I'm going to be donating to are the Daniel Prude GoFundMe page. And I'm also going to be donating to a coalition. I'm mean, going to actually be donating to two, I've decided. <laughs> um, there's the Insight Coalition um, and there's another coalition like it. The name is escaping me right now, though, embarrassingly. That's too bad. But um,
1: Story of my life.
3: Yeah. Insight Coalition and this other one um, are both uh, dedicated to helping women of color, uh, you know, who have experienced domestic violence. And they are both led by women of color, too. So... In that way, you know, you're supporting this re- reciprocal relationship as well, um, and really supporting like people who really need those resources and amenities net right now and uh, help. You know, they need help right now, um, especially during this time where, um, yeah, being home is like the safest place to be, and it's not the safest place to be for some people. Um, And we also know that COVID is like, you know, disproportionately affecting uh, communities of color. So it's even more so important now. Um, So I will be donating to them this week and I will most likely also be donating to them after this week as well. So yeah, you know, if you buy the album or you buy any of the EPs, you'll also be supporting that. Um, So it's really a cause. And I also wanted to thank Ben so much for having me on the, on the show tonight. It was really awesome.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for opening my mind, opening my mind so much. I mean, I'm thinking here I'm in a, a good relationship. I'm in a comfortable spot and I'm not in a time of need per se personally at this time. And it's easy to have your blinders on to the fact that hundreds of millions of people are, um, so I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront, um, challenging my beliefs a little bit by bringing it to the forefront. And is there anywhere else, uh, that people can follow you? Facebook, Instagram, where are the best methods to keep in touch?
3: Yeah. Um, so you can also email me, um, at emdrbandofficial band official at gmail.com. That's EMDR band official at gmail.com. And we are also going to be streaming, um, starting this week so you can also search emdr on spotify and find the album there now um uh there should be a hyperfollow link that i sent ben he can post that in the groovecast page and um but yeah facebook instagram um we also have merch for sale so if you go I can post a link to bigcartel.com. If you just search EMDR.bigcartel.com, you can also buy merch. <laughs> if you're wanting, you know, that fun t-shirt or the fun tote bag, we also made those in light of the release. So yeah, you can follow us on all of those spaces and uh, we will link up with you. So
1: <laughs> Perfect. Thanks again for coming on, Julia. It's been fun.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Ben. This this really was um, a wonderful opportunity for EMDR and you know the mission and everything. So I
4: really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Be sure to follow Rochester Groovecast on Facebook and check out the Facebook Lives. Ultimately, Julia did a private performance on the Facebook Live, and she played a song called Over the Counter. I want to play that song for you guys here today, so I'm going to give Julia the last word with Over the Counter by EMDR.
2: Over the counter It's where I spend most of my days I accept that it's over one pill at a time Still I'm lost in the past of the hate From you, Miles says that he just wants your attention. He'll never say he's sorry, cause to him you're living.
0: Listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby.